Score, the podcast. The only show taking you inside the studios of the world's most celebrated composers and musical storytellers. Presented by Spitfire Audio. I'm Kenny Holmes. He's Robert Kraft. Yes, I am. Isn't it nice to hear presented by Spitfire Audio? I love that. It's always great. This is Score the Podcast presented by Spitfire Audio. And, you know, we were done with season two. Robert was sleeping. I was. He was napping. And who did I call? Dr. Sleep. (laughs) It's like we wrote it because we have the Newton brothers who have scored the really interesting film, I'm sure, because of who's involved creatively, Dr. Sleep. And it comes out. November 8th. November 8th. Yeah. Uh, we want to introduce Matt Schrader and Carol. Hello. Hey. Composer Carol on the mic. Hello, um, hello. Yeah, we, we were done with our season, um, but we got the opportunity to chat with uh, the Newton brothers, and we couldn't pass it up. Um, they have the big sequel to The Shining the coming Shining. out. The yeah. Shining, uh, Dr. Sleep, it looks so cool. These are the composers of Haunting of Hill House, which I was a huge fan of last year, and we, re- want, we wanted to get them on last year, um, but they got super busy with this project, and we decided to wait and um, so here we are, and uh, we have this bonus episode for you, and we're very excited to have these guys on. Are they brothers? That's a great question. We can ask them. Are they both named Newton? The Fig Newton brothers, I think, is where they started. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be cool. So it's our bonus episode this week. Yeah, these guys have a lot of uh, horror films out there. They did Hush. They d- they're doing The Grudge. Nice. Um, and they're also going to do the sequel to Haunting of Hill House called Haunting of Bly Manor. Okay. And uh, so everything Mike Flanagan's doing, the director, is just crushing it. And it's exciting to see because a lot of times horror films are corny. And um, it's it's nice to see some really cool stuff. Haunting of Hill House. If you haven't seen that, it's the perfect season to watch it um, because it's fall and it's halloween spooky spooky stuff um so we're gonna have them on we want to remind you about our presenting partner spitfire audio if you're a composer listening right now you probably already know about spitfire but they make sample libraries with different instrument packages to help elevate your music as we all know you can never have too many instruments at your fingertips when you're writing and composing you can elevate your game maybe win an oscar at some point like uh, some of these films we're looking forward to i thought we would just mention these since this is kind of a one-off episode a film we're all looking forward to at the end of this year because we're getting into this award season where everyone starts at least yes. in new york and la they start rolling out these you know the billboards come out mm-hmm. and they show uh, this this movie and we talked about it a little bit earlier this uh season with marco beltrami ford v ferrari uh, so excited for that i'm actually looking to forward to both seeing and hearing it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood <laughs> for a couple of reasons. Yes. Of course, Tom Hanks is wonderful, and yep. it's a wonderful story. I actually had the privilege of working with Marielle Heller and her brother, who scores her films, Nate Heller. Oh, yeah. And Nate did uh, Diary of a Teenage Girl, mm-hmm. um, which was a really great, really interesting movie that was had some animated sequences in the middle of a live-action film that were very imaginative, and Marielle's a great director and i know that film's gonna be great i mean yeah the reviews are really good. tom hanks is mr rogers i gotta say uh this is such a a bandwagon answer but um the the new star wars rise of skywalker john williams score 
I'm so excited. For I don't that. know what to expect from the film because it's it's split a lot of the audience. You know, is mm-hmm. it as mm-hmm. good as the original? A lot of people don't think so. I mm. personally don't think it's quite what the originals were. Uh, but interested to to see how the story comes out and the music. It's it's got to be spectacular, right? This it's is the really, end of this uh, John Williams era for Star Wars. He I, says no more after this. Epic. I love how in the anticipated releases list here we have it's <laughs> the composer is listed as maestro it doesn't say john williams i don't think anyone would argue with that i love it um there's another film coming out called knives out which i saw the trailer for and it looks crazy yeah you you guys see the trailer for this a lot of anticipation for knives out yeah that's gonna be cool uh scored by nathan johnson yeah nate johnson yep so should be a big career move for him as well Mm -hmm. and then when does uh and i don't know is it tenet tenet uh, Tenet, it doesn't come out till July of next year. That's the new Christopher Nolan movie. Um, yeah. And he's working with Ludwig Göransson on that. And uh, um, it's, uh, they released John trailer. David Washington. Yeah, the trailer. Yes. I and saw it's the trailer. just, it's as little as you could possibly put out about a thing. It's classic Chris Nolan secrecy about something. Like I have shot. no clue what anything there is, except they have this rotating logo. So it's going to be something kind of trippy, but um, and what's excited the, for what's that. What's the word for when a word is the same backwards as forward? Palindrome. It's a palindrome. Yes, that's right. And the other movie I'm excited about this year, just before we uh, we go to the break here in the interview, is uh, The Irishman, Martin Scorsese's new film. Um, And uh, he's got an amazing cast in this thing. It's going to go to, um, I think it has a limited theatrical, and it's coming out on Netflix shortly after, or it might be the same day, Uh, same as the uh, as as El Camino. It might be the same situation there with music by the gentleman that does all the music for martin scorsese movies ever since the last waltz where they became friends robbie robertson who takes care of finding the songs and doing the interstitial music so he's involved i know in the irishman yep and uh also of course the great member of one of my favorite bands the band yep so that is november 1st so that's this week very cool. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're joined by the Newton Brothers. They got Dr. Sleep coming up November 8th. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Robert Kraft. I'm here with Kenny Holmes. Are you getting all that additional cool material that we have online for Score the Podcast? Kenny, where do they find it? Twitter, at Score the Podcast. Instagram, at Score Movie. Facebook, Score a Film Music Documentary. If you're not following, you're missing out. We have behind-the-scenes videos, and we do giveaways and sometimes we retweet Jordan Bieber. Two words for you. Jordan Bieber. Oh, Jordan Bieber's there. BTS behind the scenes. Go check us out. Hi, this is Nicholas Bertel. You're listening to Score the Podcast. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Score the Podcast, presented by Spitfire Audio. We're here inside the Red Room, which we changed the color of the lights a little bit for the camera so we can capture it. But... Uh, we're here with our guest today, the Newton Brothers. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. It's so cool that we're with brothers. I mean, siblings rarely await. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, we need to know. What, what's the story? Neither of you have the name Newton as first and last. I think your middle name, Taylor, is Newton? Which is just to throw you off. Yeah, just to make it more confusing. I like it. The, the, the proper introduction, Taylor Stewart, Andy Grush. The yes. Newton Brothers. Can you please tell us why you're called the Newton Brothers to start off so we can clear the air? Well, I think uh, at the time we wanted just one singular name to write under, and I think that's what kind of was the impetus behind it. And then we both big fans of Isaac Newton, and oh. and, and we just kind of wanted one name. 
and it's stuck. And then next thing you know, we're that's what everybody's like. Oh, we want those guys. So that's kind of how we, we were also hustling hard as as you do in anything you want to do in life. And we had side gigs, you know, and a lot of times those side gigs don't want to know that you're not giving them 100 percent of your time. So that was a that was a, a real early discussion we had. Like if we come up with this name, it'll be real vague. No one will know who we are, and so we did that, and it was it was it worked. At Super first. smart, and also <laughs> the side gig thing is so uh, important to acknowledge because directors do not want to know that you are doing something other than a thousand percent focus on their movie. Yeah, well, even more so when you're. At, I mean, this actually started when we were both working with. I mean, I was working for another composer at the time. I was an assistant writing on different things. And he specifically just wanted me to be working on that. And who was that? I can't say. <laughs> I don't want to throw him under the bus. Oh, no. <laughs> the I can't say composer. We know him, by the way, very well. I'm sure we do. There are a lot of them. Um, so let's talk about how, um, obviously, now you guys are a duo and you yep. have a bunch of big projects and we'll get to all those. But you were separate musicians and at some point you meshed and uh we'd like to hear how that happened i met taylor through a mutual friend and i was working on a film called mothman prophecies and taylor was producing an album and we met through a mutual friend and we were nerding out about synthesizers and outboard gear and he had played me some of his tracks and i thought you know when you hear a song and you're like oh that has a thing and and uh the stuff that Taylor was writing had a thing. So I went over to his house and you were living in Tahunga at the time. And, uh, we, we worked on his album for a month and it was really fun. And then we just started working together more and more. And then we just made a conscious decision at some point, like, let's just start working together and see what happens. But you were working together purely in the audio realm of making records or was this had film uh, scoring sort of tipped in or TV music? Well, I was uh, getting into commercials, and I also worked um, for other composers at the time. I, I went through several different composers, um, and I ended up actually with wor- working at Hans Zimmer's camp for a bit. Who? Uh, just, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those. Right. Uh, and, first uh, time we've heard that. First time, yes. yeah. It's, you know, we got in there and snuck in there. Um, and uh, he was working on either Rules of Attraction or Mothman, or he'd just come off. Yeah, and so, both of those. Yeah, yeah and uh, I was a huge fan of, of what he was doing in those projects. And so the the band and the electronic music kind of tipped its way into more of, you know, uh, orchestral and, and film music, as, you know. And, and I, I grew up with a lot of that as a background, so it was just a natural thing for us to get involved with. And we both kind of have the same, the same taste and likes, I feel, that we, we even discovered more over as time progresses. I think one of the – I'm sorry, Andy. No, 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 no. One of the – most curious aspects of being a duo, and I'm sure you've been asked this before, so many directors are very specific about having a personality, having a point of view from one artist who's going to be their go-to on a movie, not acknowledging, as we know, in 2020... Um, either one. <laughs> what year is it? That there's this personality at the head of the class, but there's a whole tribe, uh, a village behind it. So it's never really just, hey, it's my pencil and staff paper creating your score. But 
it always has been unorthodox when it's a team and you guys have successfully threaded that needle. But at the beginning, was there anybody who said, I just want the one composer point of view? It's interesting because especially with film music, I know at a certain point in my life, I was very dedicated to wanting to score films and with film scoring, you are just one of the members of the team basically. And that's what I liked about it. I grew up playing ice hockey and soccer and I loved, I love the team aspect of anything, you know, like you, and if everyone's operating at a very high level, uh, you achieve something that you can't achieve on your own. And I, I still believe that. I still think that like something happens when you collaborate on, on anything. And, um, I feel like every project we work on, we learn that over and over again. It's like you, you go in with an idea, you know, a director, producers will come to you. We have this idea. We have a vision. We want to scare people like, okay, let's start there. Okay, great. But then as you start like, like getting into what does that mean? It doesn't mean the music is scary. It depends on what's happening in the scene, what's happening in, with the overall yeah. arc, like yeah. where, where does music or sound like the door, where does, where do, where do those things fit in to achieve the end goal as opposed to like, this is my song, like it's awesome, or these are my chords and they're so great, you know? And I think that that's like a big <laughs> lesson that we learn over and over every time. It's like, and sometimes to the extent where everyone will agree, this is great, this track works great, the cue works great, wow, we love it. And you get to the dub stage and it's like, let's try muting it. And they mute it and it's like, it's actually better without it. But we needed to record Love that. 85 it's, players yeah. and to, to figure that and out. And I just want to say, you mentioned the door. They have the creakiest door, which is so fitting for <laughs> what you guys do. <laughs> we walk in not like, intentional. <laughs> not intentional. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good, that's a producer's that's ear a, over there to pick that out, Robert. That's very strong. I think I'm actually sensitive to it because I know how you use sound and we should right. talk about that. I sure. actually probably would have heard it and maybe walk past it, but coming into the studio, I realized here are composers who use the world of sound. Absolutely. And actually, we talked about it a little before, do you ever get mistaken for sound designers who are creating scores? Um, it's something we've talked about before. Uh, I think there's a very fine line, clearly, you're making music, but does anybody ever kind of say that's mostly just you've found a collection of samples and you're using that to score the film? I Yeah, I think, again, it's it's the uh, intention and what you're trying to do, and can you make use of sound design in a very musical way? You know what I mean? And, and I, I also think that that uh, those kind of comments usually come when the director's listening back and they're like, okay, what is, what is sound and what is score? I want to take this out or add this or bring this up. That's usually when that comes up. Um, most of the time when it gets to record, I don't think we've, we've had anything come that was so crazy where it's just like that sound, maybe like one track or two tracks here and there. But for the most part, you know, we, we always try to, to, um, to use, again, sounds and designs in a musical way and, and a lot of times with melody you know what i mean i think that's what we try to go for but of course it doesn't always work out that way sometimes the creatives have a very specific idea and they and they really want just like some weird shh, you know well i <laughs> i will i rewatched last night per kenny's good advice 
episode six oh, yes. of season one and was surprised that... Of Haunting of Hill House. Is right, what Haunting of Hill House, which you guys you. score. And the first 20 minutes are the sound of a storm. Yep. There's no score. And I'm going through it and I'm thinking, was there no score in this episode? And then they're sitting on the floor in the living room and you hear one low note. And I think, okay, that's the scariest low note I've ever heard because it actually dramatically increases the tension in the scene. Sure. Under the thunder and lightning, you hear this, if I may be so bold, oh shit sound. <laughs> Something is weird has just happened or is about to. And that's... The, well, and it's interesting to point out too, in, in that first 20 something minutes, the sh- there's no cuts. No. It's one shot all the way through, yep. which also makes it uncomfortable because when you watch a show or a film the cuts kind of lead you to certain things, but you're almost following these people around in a room and it's like you're there. And so without music, I mean, was that a conscious decision? Oh yeah. Because it made you feel like you were there and music might've taken you out of that moving around with the camera feel. Yeah. Early on, even um, Mike had mentioned mentioned to us that that was sort of what he wanted to do. He wanted to play the idea of director, Mike Flanagan. uh, Sorry. Yeah. Um, He wanted to play with the idea of being empty at the front of the show uh, because then when the music comes in, it's that much more impactful. You don't even recognize that it's not there. You've got the storm happening and you're so engaged in what's happening in the motion of the camera and the characters in the story that you kind of forget. And then you've got the low note comes in on its own. And then gradually a little bit later, there's a single piano note that comes in, which we actually, we thought that we were going to get fired when we sent it because we were working with, they were shooting the the episodes and Mike had asked us to be as sparse as possible. And when you sparse as possible in the context of visuals is one thing being sparse and sending a wave file to someone that's sparse is very uncomfortable. And it was, I mean, it was a piano note and then pause 35 seconds and then the next piano note within a melody so that you don't even know that you can't understand that that's, you don't even hear the melody when it's spread out that much. But the idea is like the use of space, which I I know you guys talk about a lot, which is awesome. Like the use of space and silence, noise, silence. Yeah. Is, is sort of even part of, you know, adding chords in, you know, when you're coming off of silence has a, an impact different from that chord within the context of a chord structure. I think you've just articulated two huge aspects of being a composer. One is when to, when in doubt, leave it out. In other words, what is the value of silence to a score? And in scary movies, often more than any other kind of movie, it's huge. It's huge. It's yeah, the yeah. scariest thing in the world because there's this kind of impending something's going to happen. Yes. So that when you do choose to enter, yeah. the music means an incredible amount because you also said, I'm not sure people you know, know, uh, I don't know if anybody would, unless you were really paying attention, know, oh, that scene changed because the music entered. There's an audience mostly, including me, who listens right. I don't know why I'm a little more scared and kind of restless in my seat right now, but I am. Right. Oh, you know, I actually rolled it back to say, I just realized there's a low note. Yeah. Because I didn't know it had entered. I was engrossed in the drama. I'm Mm -hmm. watching the characters. Some little girl has disappeared or she was holding somebody's hand and now she's gone. Yeah. And then I realized, wait, there's music. 
And I went back. The other thing he said, which I really love, is sending a wave file. There's a huge message in that, which is composers have to be really brave. Absolutely. And they don't get enough medals. When for you bravery. hit send, then you wait. <laughs> you hit send, yeah. and they were And talk about silence. Yeah, <laughs> and, right. And, and uh, the use of silence. And that's, and that's where two of us really come in. That's great because we'll bounce ideas back and forth and back and forth. Oh, that's great. Because, you know, a, a lot of times we even, like writers, you'll find that they'll bounce ideas and story and dialogue off each other. And that's the same way we, we work. We'll have all these melodies and themes, and we'll maybe, oh, I really like this, and well, I, I don't like this for this reason, and we, we discuss it and see how it fits, and so it's it's quite filtered before it hits the, the creatives, and that gives us a bit, I feel, of perspective, which I think sometimes composers think something is amazing, that they're so married to it, and sometimes they're a little blinded by that, and then when it arrives, it's not quite as great as it And they also can. don't have another pair of ears. It helps. It helps, yeah. I mean, it's the, I I. A tangent, but Mark Snow once told the story of how he got the X-Files theme. Oh, God. He had tried and tried and tried and tried. And at one point put his DX7 on the stock whistle sound <laughs> and was out of ideas. And his wife. <laughs> that's amazing. Very Carol, nice. how was my pitch on Penny, that? that's really <laughs> nice. Wow. His, his wife walked in and said, what is that? He went, I don't, I, I was just, do, 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 yeah. you know, on the whistle sound. She goes, mm-hmm. that's kind of it. And he said the value of having another pair of ears in the hallway walking past at that moment changed his income, his future as of a composer. Course. And it's the value of having someone else to hear what you're doing when you don't really know, is this it? You guys are lucky. And I like the fact he said writers. Because it reminds me, why wouldn't composers collaborate? You have sure. writing pairs all the time. Who Absolutely. Write I was just, I, that was my next yeah. question for you guys is a lot of composers talk about how they sit in a room all night and they're sweating and they can't sleep. <laughs> but like, it seems like the ideal situation would be to have another person in that struggle with you that you can say, what about this? What about this? And sort of brainstorm. Yeah. And um, how do you, I mean, how does that help you? Do you think it's in the overall, cause you used to work solo. Yeah, it helps. It helps tremendously. And I, I think, you know, early on when we get a film, we actually do something interesting, which is we will sit down and we'll watch it with the director and, and we'll, you know, get his ideas. And, and a lot of times there won't be temp. It'll just be dry. There'll be nothing. So it's just what he, what he wants. And, uh, do you prefer that? Um, I actually prefer not to have temp. Personally, it's it, scarier, but better. It's and, terrifying. And, actually. And, the, and the reason why is, is depending on the creative you're working with, they just get attached to it and they like it and, and they come and this, this is kind of what they think with. So you're having to then sell, you know, get your piece them to, to kind of think with, oh, this is the music for the project, whatever it may be. So it's, it's, I think there's good and there's bad to both, to both, to both sides of that. And, and real quick temp, if someone's new to the show is, is temporary music from something else put in the place of that so you're hearing the what the director or or showrunner has an idea of what it wants to sound like but it's not going to be what the music is so sometimes that can spoil the party for a fresh approach yeah it also tends to make things start to be a little bit of a copy of a copy because if if you're wanting too much of that and you you hear it you hear it in scores i don't want (laughs) to name a bunch of scores but you know there's lots that are you know they're kind of in this position where they they have to get a certain distinct closeness to the temp 
but if they get too close, then they're just kind of regurgitating what was there. So and and getting sued. There's that side of it, but a lot of time it's not the composer too. It's the creatives are like, no, I I really want like, can we just do this? You know, and so they're in the position to where, well, yes, I can, and there's a point. And so I think that struggle as far as temp music is definitely a, a re- reality. Um, but you guys are able to then go to the drawing board. Maybe do you do it separately? Yeah. So what we do is we watch it. We do with the the directors and the director and producer, and then we kind of don't really discuss it at all. We go separately and we just come up with our own individual ideas and um, deliberately don't want to discuss anything, the characters, and then we bring it together early on and then we pick out pieces and parts that we're liking or not liking. And sometimes it fills holes and sometimes it it takes things another direction that one of us we weren't even thinking about. Can you tell us more about that process? I'm curious, do you do that in different physical spaces? Like you go to one room and you go to your studio and you, how long before you then come together? And what's the process like of playing it back? Do you both kind of, okay, my turn, I'll play this, I'll play my idea for this scene. And okay, you've just done three in a row. Who scored it better? (laughs) I think, I think sometimes. How do you not get attached? You have to be very adult about saying, you know what? I like yours a lot more than mine, which, which we do. Yeah, and it's a bit of you know it's a bit of a marriage when you're in that kind of situation. Yeah. But I just articulated my fantasy of how it works. How does it work? The reality of it is, you know, I'll play something, and and if and if I if I think it's great and he doesn't, he'll be like, I don't think this is working because of this. You know, you should try taking this out, do this, and we're both just don't have. There's just like there's zero ego. It's just like yeah, this try this, try that, because it's about the film. It's not about just the music. It's about you know the story. And, and, it, it, and it's interesting what we find when we do that process, you know, the things that you don't think like Taylor might think scorpions and I think Iron Maiden, you know, and then we come together and it's like, oh, well, we're kind of in the same world. Like, I like what you're doing here, but I'm going to I'm going to use these harmony guitars to do this thing and you're not going to use them so much or, or whatever. That's a bad metaphor. But no, that's a good one, because the, <laughs> I would think the harder one. And I thought this is where you were going is Taylor like scorpions and you like Bach for that. Or you like James Brown. <laughs> yeah. And you say, wow. And I think the harder one would be if they both kind of work, you know, because yeah. film music, we've all been through this. I've seen a lot of cues put up against picture that don't work. And then occasionally you say, I never thought that Thomas Newman B side of a cue would work, but whew, that's kind of the vibe, isn't it? It lands perfectly it sometimes, does. doesn't it? It's yeah. weird how it works. Like it's almost, you can't expect it. And it's almost, I think that that's what we try to, we try to give ourselves leeway at the front end of projects to kind of fail. Like let's really, let's lean into it and see, we're going to come up with 25 ideas and 24.5 of them are going to suck, you know, and then, or not, but let's see what we find. And sometimes it's the thing you find in there. Like, I don't know why, but like the cellos work really well here with Love this, that. but only because through the process and it's kind of, it just goes back to like band practice when we were in bands in <laughs> high school, you know, and you're, you're, you're dicking around yep. and, and you know, Joe plays a weird thing on his bass and you're like, what's that? And it's, you know, the sweet emotion bass lift or bass <laughs> riff, you know, <laughs> yeah. something like, nah, nah, like, Oh, it's the, it's the listening back to anything you've recorded and there's an error and somebody's yes. played a minor seventh where it should be a major seventh. And you think that's really interesting. Leave it in. I mentioned Thomas Newman. I realized because in the conversation about temp, 
how many scores I would come onto the stage and whisper to the composer, that's American beauty, so straight up. Yeah. <laughs> we gotta, and thankfully, every composer would turn around with a kind of look of panic. Of course. And the blood draining out. Oh, I bet. I said, well, that was, I, said I know, that was the temp, and you kind of nailed it, but you kind of nailed it, like, on the money. So Too much. Let's, why don't we take a 10? Mm-hmm. And let's go think about a way we can Change flip it, it sideways yeah. or slow it down or take the piano out and have it played <laughs> on a tambourine. Right. So Andy, you you used an example of two bands just now, Iron mm-hmm. Maiden and and Scorpions. What is your background with music um between the two of you? Are were sure. you guys rockers? Um or do you have an orchestral background? I I was I was a classical I at four years old I started classical piano lessons and mm. got really into it. And Where? It, uh in Pasadena. I was doing the Suzuki method in nice. Pasadena. And that involved recitals and like dressing up and, and it was great actually. It was a great uh beginning for me. And then you've heard this story a thousand times. It was, you know, I was born in 74, so I went to see Star Wars with my dad. And <laughs> here we are, basically. You know, I know that that's not terribly exciting, but that that did it. I went to see Star Wars, and I remember we were late to the movie. We got there in the the, the, the dumpster scene, you know, where they're in the trash compactor. Ooh, scary. That's where I started the movie. And um, I walked out of that and just thought, wow. And my uncle at the time, he was uh, a, a, like a... A piano player in town um, doing sessions and uh, he came over to the house one day and played the main theme he played a much better version but he he, he showed me the plunked out version that I could play with just two hands a real basic uh, main theme and that was it I was off to the races like that's that's what I wanted to do at the same time I'd also my parents bought me the Star Wars soundtrack and Billy Joel, Fifty sec, Second uh, Street. Did because you have a I was into, too? I was into what's that? Did you a lunchbox too. Lunchbox too. <laughs> <laughs> I was so I was really into because I was really into um, pop songs at the time, and yeah. that uh, anything from the Beatles to Phil Collins to anything that was on the radio, I loved, and to be able to sit down at the piano and play it. And to my piano teacher's credit, at recitals, she used to tell me we'd set up, and you'd have to like, this is what I'm playing Chopin today. Like this is the blah blah blah, and there was to be an itinerary. And she'd tell me, go up there and just play, play REO Speedwagon. Nice. Oh, love so that. the itinerary would say <laughs> that I'm playing Mozart's Prelude in F, and I'd get up there and I'd play an REO Speedwagon song. And it was not well received, obviously, because those things were very serious. But to her credit, she saw like, hey, I see that he really likes that. And she had made a deal with me, first 30 minutes of the piano lessons, classical technique everything that i do and if you do a good job every week the last 30 minutes i'll teach you pop songs movie tunes whatever that is wonderful and epic god bless that teacher yes she was amazing open i had the opposite and it made me leave piano lessons forever if i didn't play what was on the page yeah uh, I'd failed and go home and practice, and I just wanted to play. For me, it was I wanted Love to play the yeah. whole Eckert. Rubber Soul record, top to bottom, because <laughs> I loved every song to death, and I'd figured out some of the chords. That's cool. but my piano teacher wanted nothing to do with it. That's great. Are you classical as well? Um, yeah, it was, for me, I kind of took it for granted early. On. My my mom was an opera singer, and my dad was a songwriter, and he played like country music and toured with bands so i had mm. a really weird kind of uh i would say genres was very wide and broad um, my grandfather played in symphony and so my mom was very um 
like, you know, oh, you know, I'm going to teach you piano and I had piano lessons and singing lessons and I got into the more choir when I got older. And, um, but uh, not not into the depths of the realms. This guy I didn't go to like have recitals and stuff. Um, but uh, and then when I was right when I was about 16, I became pretty obsessed with like electronic music, mm. 15, 16. And then uh, that was it for me. And, and I had I've been kind of writing, trying to write different uh scoring films and stuff based off like i think i had an it was an amiga computer at the time oh like i had long, one too oh did you, did you? i did i was yeah. so excited by them i really did yeah, I, went, I was too yeah they could do some kind of little musical artistic things yeah and it was my I, I got it and thought i'm in yeah but it was extremely limited it was yeah and that was kind of my my entering into into electronic and music until music. Well, we're sitting in, in the red room here and we're surrounded by instruments. So you guys must play more than piano and keyboard. We um, do. How many instruments do you play collectively? Do you know? Oh, collectively. Um, oh man. I don't, all. Uh, we, we, we do play a lot. I think that, um, my piano lessons turned into, this isn't cool. Uh, <laughs> I want to add something to it. And my dad had a I guitar around the house when I was like nine. I started playing. I was guitar. waiting for the rebellion story. Yeah. It, it comes with all of us. Yeah. I love piano. Yeah. How dare you? Uh, <laughs> so, but then that turned into, that turned into saxophone. I took saxophone lessons and then I inherited a clarinet from my grandfather that he <laughs> got in world war two when he was stationed in, uh, in France. It's all kinds of crazy and then my brother was playing drums in high school so there was a drum kit around and i was in so it just kind of everything and i did just, i anything that makes noise did i oh god i really understand that <laughs> it's just fun and i think that it is fun a lot of folks that are musical just organically musical it's like being organically athletic to some degree you're kind of better than the average bear just picking anything up i mean i do I, it you know i understand what you're saying um sometimes you know there's a whole degree of difficulty with wind instruments or getting the reed yeah. correct yeah but guitars pianos there's certain things you just you can kind of plunk out louis louis on a lot of different instruments <laughs> that's you, what i go to it's always my go-to yeah um do out. i remember or did i dream this that there's a clarinet falling off something and hitting a guitar that's that was your clarinet yeah 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 yes that's a yeah there's all kinds of interesting yeah should we save that for after the break come back with clarinets guitars and door squeaks <laughs> that sounds <Ooh>. good <laughs> that's we'll be a, right back that's actually the name of my next record i think <laughs> clarinets guitars and door squeaks robert's going to take us to break right there there uh, we go we'll be right back more with the newton brothers when we return Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. What about strange lands and an escape from the everyday? It's brilliant, George. Before anyone knew them by name. Who's a good boy, Indiana? 400 grand? Let me explain. George, that's our money. Blockbuster. Following the spectacular failures. Sir, sir, are you all right? And the unexpected triumphs. Can you believe it? I told you, George. I told you. A six-part immersive audio series. Blockbuster. Experience the entire six-part series ad-free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other platforms. Hey, this is Michael Abels. You're listening to Score, the podcast. Now back to the show. Welcome back. We might get thrown out of this building, Robert <laughs> slamming doors. That was the squeaky door. We feel we felt like we should play us back in with... Uh, 
the horrific sounds of entering your studio here in the Red Room. We should talk to Spitfire about making an instrument out of that. I love that. I love our that. sponsor. Do you guys use Spitfire? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Those guys are great. They're awesome. We've we've met with the, yeah. They're great. They're awesome. About a giant. Yeah, we recorded some interesting stuff for Doctor Sleep. Bizarre, some stuff. real weird stuff. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. We could make a kind of horror yes. file, and I think that squeaky door. First of all, there's enough notational information in there, melodic sure. information that squeak. Yeah, hundred percent. You could just manipulate it forever, just like. True. Everybody manipulates squeaks. Turn it into yeah. new um, age music. What this, was this is a big year for yes. horror films. Yes. Um not only are there a lot coming out that are doing well at the box office, but they're they're good. That's there's nice. a lot of good horror stuff it coming. Helps, yeah. It's like kind of the year of the return of, of horror films. Um what made you guys kind of move into that genre? Was it just your success with Oculus and and kind of spiraling out from that or did you decide like we want to do horror when when did that start it it wasn't a, a conscious decision to be like let's do horror i think for us we just love incredible stories and storytellers and and i think you know we had done a, a movie uh, before that actually called detachment with tony k and and uh, adrian brody and it was just a very incredible story super emotional and we were just doing all kinds of genres and i think just what happened was is oculus just happened to get a lot of wide exposure because Mike Flanagan's an incredible storyteller and a lot of eyes got on it. And as you know, when, when people see something, it kind of just, that gets exposure and it kind of blows up from there. So that led us into working with, with Mike and, and Mike is just, uh, he just knows this genre so well and, and storytelling in general that allowed us to kind of um, stretch and expand in that, in that area and grow with him and I think that, um, you know, that's kind of how that started and began. I think that making an alliance with the director for composers is as valuable as anything. It's, Absolutely. It's better than... You've found your match. Yeah. You find sure. a director that trusts you and you understand and there's a shorthand. It's clearly a great shortcut. And so just out of curiosity, did Mike find you? Did you find Mike? We- we actually, um, we, I believe a music supervisor um, basically suggested us, and there's a couple other guys in the mix too. So we went in and just met with um, uh, Mike and Trevor Macy, the producer. And uh, we just, we love what we saw, and it was it was an incredible film. And, and uh, they, we just got along really well, and just it just kind of connected quickly. And, and, um, and then they just, they just hired us, and, and, uh, and then from there we just started writing, and it just ever it just worked really quite well. We had an epiphany the other night. We were over at, at Mike's house, and we were going through his his vinyl collection. Oh, that was and, and and it it dawned on us, and I can't believe it's taken us however many years to figure this out. We have exactly the same taste in music, bands, scores, movies. It's just like, oh yeah, yep, that one. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I have this. Yep, yep. You're like, yep. is this my basket? Or oh, yeah, <laughs> it, it was really funny. It was yeah, it was like that. Yeah. And so, you know, he's, he's just, we just, uh, not to say that working on a movie that he does is just like, oh, it's a breeze of doing because I, it's, it's definitely, we try to always, um, do new things and challenge ourselves and, and expand and, 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 um, but yeah, he's an incredible collaborator. We're very, we're very lucky. Well, and he, he's an editor and, and he's also musical, right? He's very musical. He's an incredible piano player. Yeah. Yeah. He's very musical. So rare and wonderful. Yeah, and a writer too. He's a great writer as well. How does um, him being an editor 
turning into a director. Does that, does that help you guys um, oh. in your collaboration process? Cause he's used to piecing stuff together, maybe to, to, to score or no, he, uh, you know, presuming what's going to come from a score. I'm, I'm sure you've run into artists and I'm sure even composers. I mean, I, I know that I do it. I know Andy does it sometimes, but you get guys who will at least write ideas or slight melodies, sometimes whole compositions in their head or whatever. Mike edits an entire movie, I'm quite certain, to completion in his head. Like, done, framed. I, I just feel like he's, it's very, very exact. He, he told us shots that would happen in Dr. Sleep while we were on the dub stage of Haunting of Hill House. And Dr. Sleep is now done, and he did, he executed to a T everything he talked about on the dub stage. That is someone incredible. who's born to direct. Yes. Who can see yeah. that. Yeah, he's, he's definitely... And the irony of the fact that he has an episode with no edits. There you go. Is like having Yo-Yo Ma bring a cello to the stage and sit next to it for 20 minutes. I love that example. It it really is, yeah. I did want to spend a little more time on that, on the show for one, but that episode as well. Because I know that um, that whole episode was written based on shots and the the set design as well, right? Episode six, Two Storms. Exactly. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah, when we went to visit them on set, uh, it was it's funny. We got there, and, and it was the first thing Mike wanted to do was to show us the, the set and how it had been built. And it's incredible, like, to see how they built that for, you know, the shot to have even, like, when the window blows in, you know? And the camera is, like, the camera has to, like, go through the banister of the staircase and go down to get a shot of the kids downstairs, then come back up, back through the banister, close the banister without hearing anything, and then everyone's changed clothes, and, and they're in a different hallway. And, <laughs> and, just... and you're dealing with kid actors, which is oh, the, yeah. the most astonishing oh, yeah. thing for me to watch, is everyone has to nail it like a play, and when you're 19 minutes in, people are probably sweating, like, but I don't want to be the one to screw oh, this up. Yeah. How many takes... Did, oh. did, did you get the well the, <laughs> he was he was telling us on the dub stage this amazing story and I'll, I'll get some of the technical things wrong so forgive me but basically in that episode you know you have to do full takes and everything has to work just right from the choreography of the camera and the rig to the, focus the pulling lines, everything all exactly oh. that was the question i asked like about that focus pulling situation but Apparently, the rig that you have the camera and the gear on, it's called something. So there's a wheel on it. And there's yeah, wheels on roll it. it. A and dolly, maybe? A dolly, but it's, yeah, it's like a, basically a table with wheels that has, that I think the DP sits on it. And they, anyway, this thing needs to be very agile and move through all these shots. Well, uh, one of the operators came up to Mike. Um, they've just, they broke for lunch and he came up to Mike and said, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin your day, but the carpet, has ruined the bearings at some point the bearings are going to fail and the cart will just stop and mike said well can we what do we need to do we need to get another part he said i already called uh the parts are in new york city they can be here tomorrow oh so my i asked mike and mike's out having a you know smoke break at the dub stage and and he said um i said did you tell the the cast and he said no i went to lunch (laughs) And I just kept it real positive and said, like, all right, let's let's get this. And the next take is the one that's right in the show. On. And and the cart broke as they wheeled it off the set two minutes later. Broke. Done. It it's unbelievable. It was very Mike tells the story. Uh, yeah, much, yeah, it's incredible. It's great. It's so nice and it's Providence 
kind of showing up at the last minute to say, we got you. Yes. Yep. We yes. got your back. What was the discussion on the sound of that show? Because it's very musical, um, and it's not the standard horror where it's just like a murderer. This is family struggles and addiction and losing a parent and all these things mixed with a terrifying house that's haunted. Um, What was the initial discussion on how how Mike wanted the sound of the show to go? Well, he he definitely, um, you know, he, even though it was scary, it was more about the story, you know, it was drama and the emotion of the family. And so we were playing on those elements and, and we wrote uh, themes and motifs months before uh, we actually saw anything. So we were just writing, writing and writing and, and, um, and we came up with some tonal ideas and melodic ideas and then we would just send it to him and he would just get feedback and we just go from there. And that's kind of how it's done. Here's a little clip of the, the main theme, which is awesome. The thing I love too about shows nowadays is the the main title graphics that are paired up with the theme. The open of this show is so awesome. They did a great job. They yeah. really did, yeah. yeah. And, and that was created after your theme? It was, yeah. Yeah, they were kind of conforming and we were going back and forth. But we wrote the piece first, yeah. I have, it's a funny story. I have a. I like to hear what the melody is, but I love. Those seven hits represent the seven family members. We were just trying to find super nerdy stuff to like. Oh, that's and deep. then this last chord. <laughs> this last chord gets into sanity. That chord goes to the E flat as the high note, and this one repeats the same motif, but goes to a different note at the end. Just just to like push across the idea that it's not oh. the same, like because the idea was you know the idea in part of the novel was about sanity and insanity and you know. That is so rare to have composers walk you through the harmonic <laughs> reasons. That is, I'm, I, first of all, as a musician, I love what you just said because I don't, I heard the different, certainly musical changes that you described, but had no idea. First of all, I don't, didn't know it was seven. Let's the, hear it again. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. I thought it was kind of a triplet a feel it that's is, in the exactly. middle, but I didn't think of it as seven. It's that's so it's cool. It's triplets that end with the downbeat of the one to get the seven in. And <laughs> I just thought that was kind of a hip-hop vibe to go, doom, 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 gong, 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 kind of Skrillex meets... Yeah, uh, yeah. Li- there's that too. Yeah, yeah. that was the other But um, the, the two notes that are different at the end to hear the intellectual and narrative reason... Well, it's you super make nerdy. Those changes. It's super nerdy, but it's also it's two things. It's both spot on for the story, but also as we know, artists, writers, composers, you look for anything to give you an idea. Yes, absolutely. Because otherwise, you're just going to sit there saying, "What do I do next? Which note?" Well, what if I made the notes different because the story says, "Let me try it," and it works so well. And now I'm, now I really love the ending. <laughs> and it also gives you stories to tell on Score the Podcast. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, and there's also... That's what we were hoping we, for. We've talked with Mike a lot about this. Like the, the number three in storytelling is real interesting, right? You've got three acts. Uh, even in life, you've, you've got three acts in your own life. Middle yeah. three. Three is an interesting number. There's, you know, the beginning, the middle, and the end, as 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 my friend Lisa Siegel has said so many times. Yeah. But like the beginning, middle, and end is such a like pivotal thing that... 
that played into the melody at the beginning. We'd sort of talked about like, and, and it, you know, da, na, na, three notes. Let's repeat the same three notes again. Da, na, na. And then we break off from there to move into the, like the third act, which takes you off to the dark place. Again, this is really nerdy. Stuff. I love it. Super it's dumb. Super but, nerdy. Um, we, we like, we, I say the editorial, we like the inside baseball sure. of all this. Cause that's, <laughs> it's really one of the joys of film composing is that you're not sitting at a piano in your dark room or sitting at, at the end of a bed with a guitar, just trying to figure out what you're going to write about. Right. You know, I'm going to write a love song for Patty. Okay. What kind of song should it be? I don't know. It's, here you have a real reason to write, which is the story. But then what aspects of that story can you incorporate in the music? I mean, I'm, to, you know, this is obvious, but I love hearing each composer's point of view on how they make the decisions. Oh, everyone has such interesting. Yeah, it's so. It's great. always fun how to get there. So you talk about the beginning, middle, and end, and the show Hunting of Hill House. No spoilers. You've had plenty of time. Go watch it. You're wasting your time. <laughs> it's we're we're getting into Halloween season. It's perfect timing to watch it. Um, the show ends with a song. Yep. Yes. Instead of score. And yes. I'm curious what the discussion was on that. And were you supportive of that? Did you want to go score? Or was this a Mike Flanagan, something in his heart that wanted him to do it? it all it's, three. Really, it's really funny. Yeah. All it, three. It, what's really funny about just sort of the collaboration factor is that um, Gregory Allen Iskoff, uh, an incredible songwriter, my sister had turned me on to him many years ago. And so my sister and I always go see him play when he's in L.A. He's wonderful. Um Mike and I started talking about him. Mike was turned on to him by someone else too. And we really nerded out about him one night. Uh, we were at a uh, producer, Trevor Macy's house and we went down this rabbit hole, just talking about all his songs and the lyrics and the blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it came time to go home. And I was the driver that night. So I, I, I drove us all home and Mike and I much to the, the demise of the, 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 everyone with us sitting in the back of the seat, at the back of the car, everyone was falling asleep and Mike and I are in the front seat, cranking Gregory Allen Isakoff. Like, and, <laughs> And so when it came up, he said, I'm going to use this song at the end of the show. It was, it was a yes, 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 yes. And so oh, that's so nice. You didn't say, wait a minute, dude, we got to have an end title here. <laughs> <laughs> no, we did get to segue. It was real nice. Um, we thought we'd try to segue out of the song when it wrapped into um, score. The, the credits into yeah. score that was different from the entire show. <laughs> so guitars, bass, all of that. So we, we did a version of it and he enjoyed it and then they had to pass it by, you know, the artist and Gregory was okay with it. So it all worked out great. Yeah. So you so oh, nice. needless to say you have backstage passes to Gregory's concerts <laughs> I, now and you go I don't know about that. Uh, I don't know about that. I would <laughs> hope so. Green room. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple questions before we wrap it up. One is strangely enough, your very success in this genre can sometimes be a burden. Sure. Because a lot of composers will say, I'm known for doing one thing really well, but I'm, as I know, and I'm certain, you're capable of all kinds of genres, right? You could do a rom-com, you yeah. could do a sci-fi movie, and you could do a thriller. And right. I know a lot of really great composers who would come to me and say, I'm pigeonholed. I'm, I'm an action guy right and i really want to do like a little do, do you have any romantic comedies i could do <laughs> and uh, it was a hard pitch because they'd say well doesn't he do all those yep. big action movies do you find that 
has come up yet? Have you presented yourself for a movie that's completely away from horror and they say, aren't those the horror guys? I I think, you know, um, people who don't know you and producers in other places, I think that's obviously, they, they, you know, they look at your resume, they look at your work, and that's obviously, sometimes those thoughts come to mind. Um, we do have other projects that we, you know, we've done obviously, and and but we have also a core of directors that aren't all, you know, genres, which helps balance that. So uh, that allows us to kind of get into other, like we did Extinction, you know, and, and we're good friends with Ben Young, who uh, is an incredible director, and that was just straight up sci-fi, you know, dark, and um, and so you know, there's stuff out there like that that we're doing, but it is definitely that has come by us as, as a great point. I mean, that does, that does happen. It's real hard. Yeah. Even it's John is the first, the first, the Don't first meeting me. you take with someone on a show that's not a horror. There's always like the, mm, really, you guys are pretty dark, you know? But then if you really listen to <laughs> haunting Hill house, it's a lot of piano. I've been joking with, it's a drama. We've been working at Warner brothers a lot recently. So we've been joking with all of the execs there. Like, remember us for legends of the fall two or nice. the notebook two. Too, or you know i keep saying it just so yeah. that they, it's almost become a joke like and some of them will say like the notebook's not here today andy you know and they'll be like just keep us in mind and they, the- they would walk in on the scoring session like right in the middle of like a you know super intense cue and i'd be like this is the romance theme guys so just sit down like nice. well romance. hill house is super orchestral though there, there are some really like sentimental parts sure. of the score for sure and if you isolate those I mean, that's the notebook right yes, there. Yes, yes. But I also understand <laughs> I also understand that, uh, like, The Exorcist for me, that movie is, I, I, I can't watch it. I mean, I can't watch it again. I'm sure I'll watch it again. I've watched it probably three times in my life. It terrifies me. Me too. Terrifies yeah, me. It's I can't. I can't do it. And um, so I understand. I have a lot. My, my brother, who I'm really close to, has just told me, dude, I, I watched the first 30 minutes of Haunting and I stopped. I can't do it. And I, like, so that's an interesting thing because... A lot of people, if my brother, let's say, is a producer and wants to hire us to do Garfield's next movie. Nice. <laughs> and he's presented with us. He's going to be like, no, those guys do horror, even though he because he hasn't watched. So it's an interesting. So that's a long answer to your point, Robert. But like a, it, it, the horror thing is definitely challenge. something that is a challenge. First yeah. of all, I did every Garfield movie and I wish I'd <laughs> known you then because they are in a strange way horror movies we'll leave <laughs> we'll leave that alone i, I, I also, want lasagna now i also <laughs> have happening. had the opposite happen where i've had a director come to me looking for a composer and looked at a resume of one particular composer and i guess you can do the math and seeing that that composer had scored that darn cat yep and he said i hated that movie so i said well but the guy's a great composer you know that was one of his first gigs um, that shouldn't reflect on him. Directors who don't understand music, and you're lucky that Mike does. Oh, definitely. Um, they associate your work with the box office of the film. Yes. Period. That's 100%. how good or bad you are. It's funny. interesting you said Mike is a good musician, and you're lucky because certainly I'm sure you've had this experience where you have a director who says, hey, man, you know, I played trumpet in my high school band so i i understand everything you're doing right or i played bass in middle school sure in the band and so I, you know i'm a musician those are the scariest guys to me we've gotten yeah. those too that's what i do we, yeah. i played viola in fifth grade so i mean so you're you an guys expert. need me for anything right. you're, you're an expert on film music you i got this man <laughs> i i can tell you why this doesn't work 
There's um, there's a good short story that I, I like to tell about Mike when, when we're working on Doctor Sleep. Um, we're trying to crack a scene. You know, you're trying to find that thing for a scene. It was at the end of the film, and there was just a small section that just what we tried a lot of different things and it wasn't it wasn't landing. And uh, Mike said, I really need you to get this tomorrow. We're going to do like a short playback at the studio. You, you got to land this tonight. I need to feel this way in the morning. And this was at like 430. He called, <sighs> calls the studio, oh, tells yeah. us this. It was the night we had that lightning storm in L.A. Do you remember this? A few months I back. do. It was yeah. crazy. It was really cool. I took so, some crazy videos of those on, it was my, insane. on my balcony. Yeah. It was insane. So we stayed up all night and worked on it's It's a five minute cue at the end of Dr. Sleep and worked on it. And in the morning, Mike called, 745, he called, what do you guys think? And I, I said very honestly, like we were exhausted, like hadn't slept. I said very honestly, I mean, I will never say, 99.9% of the time, I'll never give this answer. I'll always say, I feel great. Sounds awesome. You're going to love it. I just was honest, said, I don't know. I, I don't know. Love that. I went all night and I, I, don't, I don't know. And so we sent it to him and... Um, and he got back and said, it's Grand Slam. That's exactly it. So we nailed it. But previously in the conversation when he called me at 4 p.m., <laughs> he, cracked, he cracked it and said, um, he said, what key are you in? I said, we're in E flat. He said, don't be afraid of the A flat. <laughs> four chord. With the four chord, which like another nerdy thing, like a four chord in scoring, it does a thing you got to be careful of. Like you got to stay away from it because if you land on that four chord, it's like, ugh, it could get melodramatic real quick and not a positive way. So like we'll stay away from that. We were staying away from that in this film and I had stayed away from it in this queue and Mike said, go for it. Like, you know, <laughs> that's and just that was, awesome. That cracked the whole thing. You might've just saved someone's uh, reputation in my esteem because I actually had a producer of a really big film stand next to me on the scoring stage and say occasionally in a way that I would just scratch my head why don't you go to the four like at random times oh, really? until I realized that she didn't know what that meant, okay. but it made her sound kind of like she knew music. So, so yeah, man. Yeah. Like this. Are you going to the four? And I'd say, I, I, I well, let's ask, you know, whoever was on the stand. Um, but I, <laughs> why it's just it's random yeah but when you're saying mike said that either he knows that producer and knows that that produces some <laughs> some kind of effect on a composer uh -huh. or going to the a flat my question is did you keep the e flat as a pedal when you went to the a flat or did you actually move the bass i did this i kept the c i was doing it in c with the c minor so i kept the c as the pedal and went to the a flat yeah <laughs> we, good question you know yeah, when i played that. when i played viola in fifth grade i did the same thing so i totally get it uh, yeah. <laughs> let's and go to the four go i think go that's the four. The name <laughs> name my next record and let's the go four to the four minor the four minor oh, yeah. that's all we could do a whole podcast that's about true. the four minor <laughs> next time um i want to get to you guys have some upcoming projects um we yep briefly touched on it but dr sleep which is the sequel to the shining which is huge stephen king novel um have you met with stephen king is he uh, involved in this we'd love to meet him he is involved we haven't met him yet mike mike's met him uh, a couple times now mike yeah. just yeah yeah so it's and it's uh it's incredible it's been you know when, wow, when we first 
when we first found out we we'd be working on it, it's the first thing you do is like uh, what I mean. What Fast Times? What I, I, can I swear? I don't want to swear, but in it's Fast okay. Times, you, it's we, like, Diane Warren was on the okay, show, okay, so okay, there's yeah. a precedent. When the guy says, "Oh, my bro- my brother's gonna kill us," he's gonna sh- <laughs> shit. My brother's gonna kill us, and Spicoli says, "Well, what's he gonna do? Like, is he gonna shit or is he gonna first? He's gonna shit, then he's gonna kill us. Like, <laughs> that's sort of how we felt when we signed on to this. Like, like yeah. you know, like oh god, like this is a daunting thing because The Shining was it's the shining. I mean, you die, I mean, yeah. And it was 20th century avant-garde classical music, music edited on top of other pieces of 20th century avant-garde music. So, but then you get over it and yeah. you have to start working. Yes. Yeah. And then you have to watch Jim Carrey do the scene <laughs> as Jack Nicholson. <laughs> yeah. We've seen that. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> and try and keep a straight face when you're doing it. Have you been to the Stanley hotel? We have. Yes. Which is in Estes park. I went to a yes. wedding there last year. That that's the hotel that it. it was, yep. The, yes. Did you know that that's also the Dumb and Dumber Hotel? Yes. <laughs> yes. I think I think I didn't hear that. From we somewhere. landed on the moon. The the newspaper <laughs> articles on the wall in there. Oh, that's I was right. like, what a what a contrast of big movie that is success stories. That's amazing. Yeah. What can we expect with um, Doctor Sleep though? Is is there anything you can tell us? The movie comes out in November, early November, but. Um, any approach you took, any interesting musical choices, or anything? and who's on screen? Uh, Ian Gregor and Rebecca Ferguson. Mm. They are running the the lead. Um, and uh, uh, let's see, <laughs> are there twins? Freaky twins? You can't say. They're, don't say. I, I'm it's scared. The, I'm. I want to say everything, it's, but I don't know. It's in the trailer. Yeah. It's in the trailer. Okay, good. In the trailer, you see twins. I'll okay, say that. Great. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we, you know, we, 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 we dove into a lot of things, you know, getting into 12 tone music is real weird when you get into films because it's, it doesn't land real well sometimes, you know, but and the emotional what does that content. mean? I'm not sorry. Uh, it's the idea that, uh, you've got 12, you know, uh, a chord series is eight notes basically. And, and in 12 tone music, you've got all 12 of the, from in the early 20th century, all the way up, all the, Arnold all the Schoenberg keys. decided to <laughs> remove any emotional content from the Western oh, approach to, to harmony, <laughs> where we were reading into the relationships of chords. This is in, what I needed. In such a way that we assumed that was the way music was, which had been that way since some version of Gregorian chants, even though those were yep. modal as opposed to tonal. That's true. Schoenberg decided, with a little help from a couple other guys, I think Wojciech was a, an opera that was written in... 12 tone somebody will write me a note saying it actually wasn't um but sure which, which is berg um but schoenberg decided that instead of having these tonal relationships he would take each 12 tones of the scale yep. and have them represent equal weight how do i do that's that perfect that's, that's forgot, actually perfect you forgot one part that's though perfect. there's 12 tones and two words Two words for you, Jordan Bieber. Ah, exactly right. <laughs> so Jordan Bieber actually records only 12-tone pop songs. It's something people don't know. Uh, I got to do it for you guys because I know you've tagged us several times. Oh, do it. Please do it. Please she do sounds it. like five pounds of cheese. Yes, yes. And that's what, that's what sometimes 12-tone music can sound like, five pounds of cheese. So I think after <laughs> yeah. all the kind of nonsense, are you writing a 12-tone? Are you writing a 12-tone so score? So That's here's here's what we ended up sort of leaning into, and I'll I'll do the quick nerdy version again. We got into polychords because I know her. 
exactly. <laughs> she's, yeah, she's been kind she's to been us. Really nice yeah. to us. She has been. Yeah. Uh, the Real I- sweet. The idea that if you you know you you've got three notes in a chord. So let's say for example, one of the, the polychords we used was a, a C minor. So you've got C E flat G, and then E major. So E G sharp B. Spread if you out. play those together, if you just sit down at a piano and play them, usually it will sound like five pounds of cheese. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the idea in the film was that, like, incorporating that chord, that as a polychord, and then D minor over uh, G flat major, that's all 12 tones right there. So those two chords we use a lot in the film, uh, and we had to balance it. That was the trick. Then, and, and and Mark Graham was great. Our orchestrator, yeah, he was because fantastic. Mark's the guy. He's the guy. He's and the he, man. And when we talked to him, I had lunch with him eighteen months before we had even written any music, and um, he was great. Just saying, like, you just do what you guys do, and then we'll figure it out. And he did. Like, we had chord when you play polychords it's real specific you can't just play it and go like great that's it or it sounds bad real fast you have to balance it you you need the you mean balance the dynamicals you need to balance the dynamicals exactly and in certain (laughs) parts of the film we wanted a different tone sometimes we wanted more of a magic tone which just means certain notes in a polychord need to be a little quieter than others so mark was great in helping us design the orchestra setup in a way where at no time is everyone playing. We had sections spread out in the room at, at Warner's so that Violins. different violins. Yeah, we <laughs> we did more of a like Stravinsky setup. We even like split the tubas and yeah. had everybody more playing as a band more so that it sounded off because that's what the film it is sort of needs. I yeah, love yeah. this. Did you hear that? That's a spoiler. The 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 film's off. Um <laughs> I love this. Scary. There's no amount of this kind of information that I don't enjoy learning. Um, I do have a quiz question for our audience. You can mail your answers directly to Kenny's home address, which we can put on the internet so that he can find a prize in his amazing collection of records. But the question is, how would you describe this chord? C, E flat, E G, G sharp, B. That is the polychord that Andy described. That was your countdown clock for the answer. And it's some kind of C minus twice diminished rubulation retro encabulator. And I'm not sure. Damn, this is a beautiful melody. It's a beautiful melody, but that's our quiz question for today. What chord is that? The flex capacitor chord. It is the flex capacitor <laughs> chord, where I think the Spurving bail, Bailiers are genius. Are genius. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so, gentlemen, in, in conclusion, we have a lot to look forward to from the Newton brothers. Yeah, uh, yeah, and we've got. I think uh, season two is season two of Haunting will be. Yeah, we just went the, the writers' room, of Bly Mansion. Correct, Manor. Bly Manor. Bly, yeah. Bly, Bly Manor. Manor. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is. We were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but this is going to take the American Horror Story kind of approach, where it's not a sequel or a continuation of the first story. This is a whole new clean slate. Correct. That is great. Yeah. The yeah. only only thing that's the same is the word haunting. Mm. love that i wonder how that piece of information will find its way into the theme or the score because i wonder the question is when you say the only will the 
seven beats in that original uh, theme be repeated or now they won't because maybe not the same family will it be the original theme or is it a whole new theme these are questions you're going to have to stay tuned to hear the answers and i think what we have for you is a big thank you and a round of applause for the neutron brothers (laughs) thank you guys and you guys are heading into a new studio yes yeah yeah, I'm I'm up at the I'm up at Debney's building. He and Lola were nice enough to invite me. Nice to work there. Good. Yep, and we have another place we're building in Glendale, so Glendale Hills. Very it'll, cool. It'll be Red Room Red East. Room, Red Room Two. Red Rum Two. What's Red that? Rum. <laughs> Going off the Red sleep. Red Rum. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, no pun intended. Uh, we want to thank you guys for coming on the show, the Newton Brothers, for inviting us into the Red Room. Thank you guys. Thank you for having we really us, guys. Appreciate really. you guys. Yeah, we love what you guys. We love the show. Yeah, we're film oh, scoring nerds, you. so we, we love, love what you guys, you guys do. Make us laugh all the time. Thank you very much. And this has been Score the Podcast, presented by Spitfire Audio. Stick around after the closing music for an example of how Spitfire can elevate your music. Boom. And a reminder to our listeners to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Twitter at Score the Podcast, Instagram at Score Movie Robert. Kraft is my name, Robert Kraft, and I'm here and happy to be here with the Newton, Newton, with the Fig Newton brothers. <laughs> oh no, they probably ate that. No, that's great. Hey, Score fans, we're so excited for the support of Spitfire Audio. They collaborate with people like Hans Zimmer and the Bernard Herrmann Estate to build sample libraries that elevate your music. Here's a quick example of what some of the sounds sound like. (laughs) 